Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a podcast helping academics and former academics to find wellness, meaning, purpose, and freedom in life and career. I'm Danielle Delamar. Glad you're here. Hello, my friends. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of Self-Compassionate Professor. I'm so glad you're here. So it is Saturday today, and um, in Denver, it's kind of overcast, and things are, you know, plugging along. We are still in a pandemic, and life is still really hard, and I still don't have childcare. So I guess what I would say is that I am so grateful to have the meaningful conversations that I'm able to have. And that includes not just my coaching clients, but the guests that I have on my show. I am so very grateful to those of you who have been on the show. And I find that it's a quite a lift in my day and my week when I'm able to have these conversations, but also re-listen to them um, so that I can edit them. Just because um, I, I think it, uh, these conversations are meaningful, right? They, they're real and they bring me back to sort of the things that I care most about. And I really appreciate that. So I just interviewed this last week and um, his interview is going to come out in a couple weeks, but I just talked to um, Chris Cornthwaite, who is the author of Doctoring, Building a Life After a PhD, and he and I were talking about finding that thread that connects um, your previous jobs to your current job and the importance of finding that theme that runs throughout your life. And and when I say, you know, the thing that connects one job to the next, I'm not just talking jobs, right? I'm talking about even, at least for me, I'm talking about even the early stuff, right? Like that stuff that you were really sort of fascinated with, even as a kid, And often when people get in this place where they feel stuck in their careers, it's because uh, they've lost that thread. And so I find it really interesting that I just talked to Chris Cornthwaite about this just this week. Um, And I was so excited to talk to him about it because I said to him, oh, my gosh, you know, I do this same thing with my coaching clients. I help them to find that thread. And so when I went back today to look at the interview I had with Margie, who is uh, Margie Serrato, who I'm interviewing in today's episode, I find I found it so interesting because we talked about that thread as well. Anyway, before I introduce her, I would like to read a couple paragraphs from Chris Cornthwaite's book because I think that his words do a really good job of sort of grounding the conversation that Margie and I ended up having several weeks ago. So settle in and just listen to the words. As you begin to write your story down on paper, pay attention to where you see threads that align. As a PhD perched on the edge of reinvention, you might feel that there is no consistent narrative to your life or that your story ends in failure. The truth is, the story you've been telling yourself probably isn't yours. You've been telling yourself that you're a failed tenure-track professor, someone who wasn't good enough to make the cut. You've imagined leading upper-year seminars and taking fancy research trips. That would be fun, but maybe it's not your story. You have something even better waiting for you. You just don't know what it is yet. See if you can find threads of meaning in your story. As I looked at my life, which was made up of a lot of different jobs, I had trouble seeing any consistent narrative. But one day I realized that everything I've done has been about two things. Trying to answer 
big questions for myself and trying to help other people explore them. It's what I did as a minister, as a teacher, as a PhD student, and as a policy analyst. That's the same thing I do now with Roostervane. My life hasn't been a series of random events. I've had the same visions and goals driving everything I do. The grand unifying theme of my life was not a job. It was a bigger sense of calling that drove my actions. Anyway, I thought I'd start there because that's what this particular episode turns out to be about. Dr. Margie Serrato, who is a personal and executive coach and the founder of Human Empowered, talks about that thread that's been running through her entire life. And the first question I ask her is, why did you get the PhD? And our interview is going to start in a sort of mid-conversation. So you'll just hear her talking and answering my question for the first several minutes before you really hear more, more of the dialogue. But pay attention to that thread that she and I talk about. Um, it's really fascinating and She's a very, very wise person um, who I think can get you to think about things on a, on a level much deeper than you might have thought before. Okay, that's all I got for today. Take care. Bye. I decided to pursue a PhD because, you know, when you start uh, college and get into certain fields, uh, you have a, a very specific idea of what it means to succeed in that field. And uh, the field that I was initially in when I started undergraduate was psychology. And um, I went into psychology because I wanted to understand the thinking and the behaviors of people, um, particularly in my personal life, who were always telling me uh, how to be or not to be as a woman. And uh, I'm a first-generation American um, and also first-generation college student. And uh, my family is from Colombia, so Catholic, you know, South American, very traditional, conservative. And I grew up always with these, um, these tensions between the ideology that I learned here in the United States about equality and about what women can do and what they can achieve. And then at the same time, always hearing from my family of like, no, girls aren't supposed to do that. You can't play soccer, especially now when I was better than the boys. Uh, you can't do this and you're supposed to have a family. And, you know, um, you know all of the, the traditional gender roles that we are accustomed to, to, to learning about. And um, that, that never really went well with me because I always felt like it, it, I was resisting it. Uh, and there was resistance to who I was as a person in that process as well. And uh, so I figured, you know, psychology, I know what that is. I know it's about understanding how people think. And so I went into it and uh, had a lot of, of credits by the time that I actually arrived at anthropology. Took my first um, elective, asked my academic advisor, um, what is anthropology? And she said, well, it's, uh, it's like the study of culture. And I thought, oh, well, that's really interesting. I love learning about people from, from other places. And sure, um, I'll, I'll take that elective. And the very first day that I was in the class, in a general anthropology class, I felt like I was home. It was this clear, expansive sensation in my body like I've, I have arrived. And, and I feel that right now, just talking about it, it's such, it was such an important moment uh, of realization that this this was what I was meant to be learning, and this was what I was meant to be. Um, this was this is what was going to help me understand these things that uh, that were troubling me. And I ended up doing a double uh, doing a double major in anthropology and psychology, and they both complement each other very well. And when I was um, considering graduate school, I thought, okay, what do I what do I really want to do with my degree? And uh, I, I knew that I wanted to to understand more and be able to talk a lot more expertly about uh, gender and culture and gender and non-traditional contexts in particular. And um, so it was, you know, when I was applying for graduate school, um, I thought, okay, well, I know I want to get a PhD because, you know, a tenure track 
you know, professor uh, position is definitely our, our route to success in anthropology. And so this is what I want to do with my life. I want to, I want to be an anthropologist and this is what this means. And so I pursued my PhD at the time is when the post 9-11 wars were happening uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq. And um, so it coincided with the research topic that I chose for myself, which was um, a comparative analysis uh, between female soldiers and male soldiers who had deployed to combat to understand what their combat experiences were like. How were they similar? How were they dissimilar? How did they talk about combat? Um, and, and part of the reason why, from a personal standpoint, is because that was one of the things that I wanted to do with my life. I had thought about joining the military uh, because it was one way of uh, being able to fund my education. And uh, when I presented that uh, you know, opportunity to my family, the response was, um, military isn't for women you know my my own understanding of where where i fit into this role as an anthropologist and as a scholar um as a researcher and what do i want to do with this what is what is ultimately what i want to do with this work why is it that i'm so motivated to understand those contexts and understand the motivations and part of it is because well um i am have always been in this place of claiming my power and reclaiming my power from others in so many different capacities is about staying true to me and staying true to what I feel is right for me and what I know that I am capable of doing versus what everybody else is telling me that I can or can't do. Yeah, uh, and I, I really felt this 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 strong connection with the female soldiers that I was interviewing because they had very similar experiences for themselves as well. And not that they went into the military to prove to somebody else. It was always to prove to themselves that this was truly what they were meant to do and what they wanted to do for themselves. I can see this trajectory because it sounds like from early on, you've been wanting to understand yourself and wanting to figure out how to sort of anchor yourself in this world that can be so confusing and ask my dad my dad will I'll always comment on you think too much you just need to shut your brain down uh, <laughs> like, that's not possible for me i am constantly going through this iterative process of introspection about everything that i that i encounter on a day-to-day -day basis how am i as a person how am i as a woman how am i as a mother where can I be improving? What can I be doing differently? How can I better the world in my own way every day? And and that to me, yeah, to your point, Danielle, that that became that anthropology was just a, a, a really more of a theoretical and a practical kind of um, academic setting in which to really understand myself and my my place in the world. It um, as a cultural anthropologist, you are you are pretty much doing the research on your own, you're publishing on your own, and there may be some co-authorship opportunities for sure, uh, but largely you're doing your own work. And that to me felt very lonely and very solitary and very me, me um, when there's so much potential for broader impact when you collaborate with others and when you find shared opportunities for, for impact and for teaching and for research and, you know, um for the betterment of you know society and and i didn't find that to to be something that i could do certainly not as a as a junior um you know uh, faculty scholar and um that really weighed on me very quickly i one of the things that 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 was a huge thing for me is that pressure of, of publication um unfortunately became this uh, almost uh, convoluted uh self-judgment in my head almost about not being a good writer and it's been interesting going through that process of um you know uh, overcoming imposter syndrome because part of i think i collapsed the two things of like i don't i view the resistance to, to writing and to publishing in that way i collapsed that with i don't know how to write or i must not be a good writer and the truth is I can look back at all of the things that i've written from and i will tell you is and the things that i've written not just term papers my dissertation uh, you know, um, conference papers, uh, I will even say erotica, 
because it's one of the creative writings that I've done before. I am a great writer. It's not the writing that's the problem. It's the stress of writing for, for what, what purpose am I writing for? And when it, it becomes the, the stress and, and the, the pressure is for my own, let's say, um, professional survival, right? And it's taps into that survival part of your brain. And, and that's when there's that much pressure, your body just shuts down. And that was basically what was coming up for me is avoidance and procrastination and just absolute resistance to writing. I can write perfectly fine uh, to other people. But when it comes to something a little bit more formal, like a publication, it's, it's a completely different game. And I ultimately thought, okay, this is becoming a really big problem for me. And I really don't like the competition. And what is the point of all of this? <laughs> like that almost existential question of what am I doing this for really? What did I set out to do? Is this in line with why I even got into anthropology to the, you know, in the, in the first place? And realizing I didn't get into anthropology to be a tenure track professor. I got into anthropology to understand other humans and to impact human understanding at a larger scale. That's, that's what I went in to do, to understand myself and to understand others. That's where my calling was. So when I, um, I had, I, I got out of academia through a National Science Foundation uh, postdoctoral fellowship that puts basically academics into industry and, and, and puts them in a place where they're applying their research in, 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 a, in a place where there's economic impact. And I was applying some of my work in an education technology um, startup uh, that was really trying to work on broadening participation in STEM, broadening education opportunities for uh, minorities and um, underrepresented groups. And uh, it was it was you know a, a good setting uh, where unfortunately there was a lot of pressure on grant writing because that's how this company survived. And uh, that pressure of writing, then that was yet another place where it just became really daunting of a task to write. And ultimately, uh, long story short, there were um, I, I that position no longer had funding after two and a half years. And then I was left kind of in this space of, okay, I don't have a job. This is kind of a problem. I didn't expect to be here. Um, I earned a lot more as a postdoc than I did as a faculty. Um, so, okay, now I have a taste for more money in the industry context. And I also know all of the potential opportunities in the industry context by, uh, context by applying my ethnographic work and my applying my understanding of people and their complexity and having those hard conversations that people in business do not want to have uh, because we have this really um, unfortunate facade still of you know uh, business life is one thing personal life is the is the other and never the twin twin shall meet uh, certainly not in in, <laughs> in your work which is not true, right? We bring our personal lives to work and we bring our work to our personal lives. There's no severing those contexts in, in your day-to-day -day experience. And so letting, you know, understanding what the problems of, of that old way of thinking, how that affects people's quality of life in their workspace has been something that I've, that I've really learned a lot about and had a lot of great uh, and, and difficult conversations about and especially when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, because I feel like that's a space where that we're in industry. They're trying to understand others and trying to be better, but those initiatives are so superficial, so superficial that it's almost like just you know just taking like a like like going to your first day of class, only going to one day of class, and thinking like, oh, I know everything that there is to know about this subject, <laughs> and. The truth is, is that it requires a lot more work and it requires for everybody to be part of that work as well, not just some people. And so um, under, you know, understanding that context and how I can apply anthropology and, and my, my, my empathy and my experience of helping people broaden their perspectives, there's just so much opportunity there. And then what I came up with was also this resistance of 
from the from the business context of well what's important about this work it's like well should i have to really tell you why other people matter or why diverse people matter or but it's because they speak the the bottom line um that that's the that's basically the language of business is what's my return on investment what does this represent in terms of of, of money uh money earned or money saved um it's really not about the people and and there's a, a little bit of discomfort for me in that because I, sh I shouldn't have to tell you that people are important that your people who work for you um should be people who matter to you right um and so then that became something that i thought okay there's a lot of potential work there but i don't want to have to go through this process of selling people on the idea that it's actually good business to care for your employees, that it's actually good business for you to have representation in your leadership from people of diverse backgrounds, um, on and on. And so I thought, okay, I can do this work. Do I really want to do this work? What is important about this work for me? So again, that, that process of deep introspection with myself, what is important? It is about giving people better opportunities. It is about giving people the context in which they can thrive. Okay, how else can I do this? And as I was learning about these different um, people who here in, in the Cincinnati area who do this work on, on diversity inclusion, um, the um, and also leadership development and cultural competence, uh, they all are coaches. And I thought, what is this coaching thing? Like, I've never heard of this before. What is what is coaching? And this was last year, okay? So this wasn't that long ago. I was like, what is coaching? And uh, then I started reading on it, uh, reading up on it. And you know what? The feeling that I got, it was the same feeling that I had that first day in my anthropology class. It was this profound feeling of, ah, this is where I belong. This is the next step. This is where I'm meant to be. And I looked mm. into coaching and I thought, okay, I can either look at all of the possibilities for how I want to go about this and overwhelm myself in the process of, you know, analysis paralysis, or I look at uh, the fact that five out of the seven coaches that I spoke to were trained in the same institute. And I thought, Oh, yeah, easy peasy. Look it up. How much does it cost? Sign up. It was one of the few things in my life that I have done without having to question it, without having to really overthink it. I knew it was an investment in myself. I knew, but I also had this really profound feeling like this is where I'm meant to be. And when you have that kind of clarity in, in mind, heart, gut, spirit, <laughs> it is hard not to listen to it. I could have resisted it. I could have looked at the at that price tag and go, I don't have the money right now. I haven't, you know, I haven't had, you know, steady income, any number of things. But it was I I I made the call before my brain got in the way, before my fears got in the way, before my self-judgment and you know, all, all of the things that could go wrong went in my head. I just did it. I dove in, I, I just dove into it. And I have not looked back since, and I do not regret a single day of it. I have grown so much in this past, not even year, because I started this uh, coaching training in October. So it's it's been it's been ten months. I've grown so much in ten months. So it feels like I've lived a lifetime. I am not even going to lie. And more, more than that, from more than what I've grown for myself. I, in my coaching practice, as I have coached others, I have just realized how much I have to offer in this space for others when it comes to empowering them to live their own lives, to live their truth, to dare to believe in themselves, to dare to, to, to dream and to, to want more for themselves, to dare to want to reclaim their space and their power and their confidence and their whole self. And 
that's pretty profound. And it's, it is a continuation of what you were searching for as a college student who started psychology. That's what I love. It's yeah. the same purpose you've had that's followed you throughout your life or you've followed throughout your life. Yeah. It's beautiful. It yeah. is. It is. I see. It's an interesting. One of the, you know, these things about being an entrepreneur is, you know, one of those first questions is like, who's your target audience? Like, and like oh gosh, there's so, like, who are your clients? There's so much to navigate. And I don't know anybody who wants to grow. I don't know, like anybody who wants help, anybody who wants to transform their life, anybody who wants to grow in their confidence and, you know, on and on and on. And it was, it was such a daunting task. And I had to really take that really proverbial step back, two, three steps back even, to, to kind of look at this full picture of my life. And honestly, it kind of happened without, without, <laughs> without me putting much effort into it in a way because it was almost like um, one night I was just swimming with these questions in my head. And it was almost like my whole life projected in front of me from birth to now. It was so bizarre. I can't, it, and I promise I was not drinking or high or anything. Okay? <laughs> just, I think my brain was just like, all right, you need an answer to this. Here we go. Um, and, and understanding um, without, without intending to, but understanding that what is the thing that connects all of my experiences that connects all of the things that are important for me in my own life what is that one thing and realizing that it was always about empowering myself always about empowering myself about being true to myself about not quitting on myself this wasn't about about proving to others that i could be smart that i could be strong no i, I am smart i am strong I am an absolute badass at everything that I ever embark on. And recognizing that any doubt that came around that, of those qualities and that certainty was not mine. That was the, the, the corrupted version of me, the corrupted view of myself that didn't come from me, it came from others. It came from others who from a very early age told me, not to be a certain way, not to be confident, not to talk about how smart I was, not to celebrate myself. And you know what? It is my it is my forty second birthday today, and even to, this is my gift to me, Danielle. Today, forty second birthday. My gift to me is to embrace myself and celebrate myself for who I am, and to be truly connected with my being, be truly connected to everything, my essence, everything that I've had since I was a child that's always been there, to just really reconnect with that and really have that unshakable conviction in myself that, and not to allow anybody to ever, ever again, take that away from me. That's mine and I'm gonna own it. And this is what you do for clients, you yes. help them to empower themselves in the same way. Again, the name of your organization, right. Human Empowered. Exactly. And that's what I'm good at. I am. I have a gift of presence that I, I honestly, like the more that I heard this from clients, I'm like, you know, they, I, I always, this is this been this repeated theme with all of my, my coaching clients, fellow coaches, as well as new clients, of feeling, and I've, and I've heard this all of my life, uh, you know, strangers who, you know, you meet them for the first time and, and they say things like, I don't know why I feel compelled to, you know, tell you all these things that I've never told before. Um, and, and, and I always found that funny. I'm like, I don't know, maybe because I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm a good listener. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and truly mm -hmm. recognizing, I never thought that was a rare thing. I just figured like, yeah, that's just being a good person, just listening to people and being curious about their story and wanting to understand them. And you know what I've realized in the past few weeks? Um, it's natural to me, but it is not common. Having that presence from another human being is actually quite rare. 
and it's if very I rare. Stop yeah. to think about that for myself. Is that do I get that from someone else? I get that from coaches. <laughs> but do I get right. that in my day to day experience with other people? No, I guess not. And so really, again, celebrating myself for that and, and realizing this is a gift. This is a gift. And how can I bring more of this gift into my life for others? And then the it's other such a gift, yeah. such a gift mm-hmm. to you and to the world. And that's what I hate about coaching, uh, being so looked down on by so many in our society, because uh, the people who enter coaching are really, really very much healers. Mm-hmm. So I love what you're saying. I love it. Yeah, they are healers. And I think the biggest thing um, when I found find myself in such great company, um, with coaches in a way that I didn't with academics. And I'll tell you why I was always I, I, until very recently, I was very concerned and confused about this. And, and it was really troubling me like, you know, I'm, I'm an academic, this is part of my identity. I, I, I'm a thinker, I'm a critical thinker. Um, so are all of these people, right? This is why we, we go into the, you know, this field. Um, and, and, and yet always feeling like I didn't quite belong. And I didn't know what it was. And I'll tell you what it was. Being a critical thinker is not the same as being introspective. Ah, uh, that's so good. Right? That resonates with and me. It just, yes. It, just, I, it never dawned on me but because I'm a critical thinker and I'm introspective. And certainly that must be because of my critical thinking. And then actually taking that, again, that step back of like looking at my colleagues and realizing, wait a minute, this is not exactly how it is. Um, just because you're a critical thinker does not mean you're introspective. Those two are very different things. It requires critical thinking to be introspective, but that does it, it's not mutually exclusive. Yes, I, I totally agree with that. I, I, I'm sure that's why I found myself in academia too. It was this sense that this is where I belong because I think about things other people don't. So yeah, I love that you're drawing a distinction though. That's really, really useful. I know. And it's, and it's, again, it's, it's part of what, um, when I stepped away from academia, that was part of a part of the problem for me is that it, is that I, I felt like on the one hand, like I was, I was, this is me. And yet I don't feel like I belong in this in this place. I don't belong with these people. What is it about it? Whereas I find that whenever I'm around coaches, the, this is my crowd. These are these are the people who have the shared belief that others can grow, that they're capable of growth. On the one hand, and also that. This is a group of people who want to see others thrive, who want to see others heal, who want to see others accomplish bigger, better for themselves, who want people to grow into their full selves, into all of their magnificence. And that's pretty profound to have somebody who has that belief in you as a person without even knowing you, that they have this profound care for you as a human being, that they want you to grow into the absolute potential that you were born with. How, how do you even wrap your head around that, right? And so I get that part of, um, part of the disparaging, you know, kind of like, uh, it may be understanding or misunderstanding of coaching is that um, it's an unregulated industry. So anybody can call themselves a coach trained or not. Um, so, so, and, and a lot of people just don't know what coaching is. Right. So it's, again, you know, people fear what they don't understand. That's True. the unfortunate yeah. part of, you know, human experience is instead of thinking like, Oh, I don't know about this. Let me be curious about it. We tend to do the opposite um, and say, Oh, I, I, you know, that, that's, that sounds like, you know, a bunch of, you know, uh, fooey. Um, and one of the things that I, I notice sometimes coaches, especially coaches who work with academics, one of the things that they do is that they oftentimes 
um, do this thing where they talk about coaching and like, you know, connecting with yourself and realizing that we have so much emphasis in our culture on the head and the production of knowledge that we disassociate the head from the rest of ourselves, the rest of our body, the rest of our, our being. Um, and and it's it, it that will catch up with you. Um, it will catch up with you in terms of your creativity, in terms of your ability to write, and in so many different facets in terms of your work-life balance, your relationships, so much. There's so much there to explore and to be curious about and to know about yourself. And in addition to that, though, um, you know, because there there tends to be this focus on the whole self, that holistic aspect of, of being and doing that, well, from the moment that you say holistic, people immediately, you know, chuck that off as being, you know, hippie bullshit. And mm -hmm. so unfortunately, sometimes coaches, you know, you know, refer to you know, the, you know, uh, connecting with themselves is like, oh, it's like, oh, you know, I know this may seem a little woo woo, you know, kind of like hippie stuff. And they in inadvertently disparage their own practice. They inadvertently disparage the value of coaching. And, and I don't That's like so that. That's so true. I, I, yeah, I, I've, I, I've done that so many times. I yeah. get that. Yeah. But it's because the, because you have this feeling that these thinkers, these, these, you know, uh, rational hyper rational people are not going to understand you know this other side of of being this other way of being and this into and the intuition and you know the heart and the soul um and so we we were trying to put it in terms that um basically a little bit like aswaj they their uh their their insecurities or their um their misunderstanding or their lack, their lack of understanding or their ignorance, let's say it, um, instead mm -hmm. of instead of using that as a, a moment for education, um, which which is the way that I approach it, uh, of, of really kind of uh, as a rational person, I can still understand that there's more to me than my head uh, without having to, again, to kind of inadvertently uh, devalue what it is that we do as coaches and devalue what that process of introspection and knowing yourself in different ways actually requires because it requires you to get out of your head. It requires you to understand understand yourself in, in a variety of different ways that you've never experimented with before. But be curious. Be curious about what, what comes up for you. Be curious about what other kinds of knowledge and wisdom um, live inside you and learn to tune in to those different ways of being and doing that all it's going to do is amplify your thinking nothing else it's not going to take anything for, away from you it's actually going to give you a lot more than you probably bargained for and that's a good thing you know i also as you say that it makes me think of uh, my time in academia and how i was always sort of a closet coach like <laughs> I read things that I would never want my colleagues to know I read. I thought about things that I would never want my colleagues to know I thought about. Um, I, I remember listening to a podcast that was all about coaching. And I was like, oh, my God, I would never let anybody know that I, I have this in me. Um, and, and I think that my experience is probably pretty common. And my guess is that we have a lot of academics out there who really are doing some, you know, closet reading and <laughs> thinking about things in ways that us coaches think about. Um, but they're just as afraid as as many coaches are to to broach the subject with with peers and colleagues. Right. Um, and so yeah. So I love what you're saying about like, don't disparage it. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Like speak up for it. And exactly. then maybe other people will feel, um, feel validated in what they may be thinking about too. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, I, it never dawned on me just how much of, um, how much of like, let's say metaphysics or personal growth, um, you know, I had done in the past um, I, I will tell you, you now as I as I reflect, um, I, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I love audiobooks, and, uh, and most of what I listen to is is all personal growth. There's just a, a sense for me that there's an opportunity to expand as a, as a being 
um, in my thinking, if my in my in in the way that I do things, uh, things everywhere from habit and you know habit changing to um, uh, vulnerability to what does it mean to uh, uh, understand yourself as you know as a coach versus uh, on, as an entrepreneur? Like there's so many different ways in which you can you know grow as a person. And then really just just kind of seeing some of these like underlying themes about you know trusting the universe or um, being in touch with 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 your inner self with your wisdom with your soul whatever wording you want to use that that ultimately uh, find knowing your truth and connecting with that truth becomes your 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 guiding you know your compass almost for what is really important for you as a person. What is it that I want to do in the world? What impact do I want to have? What is my life purpose? And recognizing that if you actually sit back and think about all of the things that brought you fulfillment, that brought you absolute joy, a complete sense of peace and energy and aliveness, there are probably a lot of shared things in those experiences that you probably never thought of. A lot of very deep values that you may have that are completely out of your range of awareness and yet those when you bring them that awareness to yourself then you can learn to recognize more easily what things can i let go of and what things are truly important to me and move on from there using your own kind of you know north star or your own you know internal compass for for what is really gonna bring you joy and what is really going to help you grow as a person and what is really going to make you um you know push you to be better for yourself and for others um on and on and on but it it requires for you to take that time with yourself be fully present with yourself which we often don't do we completely negate this to ourselves like like negate this like possibility because we're so focused on all of the things that we're doing and we never really give ourselves the time to just be to be with our thoughts you know my mindfulness is certainly like a practice that a lot of us are learning more and more about it's more and more in the public space um and and certainly mindfulness you know and, and grounding yourself is an important you know can it can be very good practice and it's an important uh practice and it's something that a, a lot of people benefit from but even just just taking the time to reflect on your life and to reflect on what's important to me what is a legacy that i want to leave behind um what are my values like if i ask you what your values are oftentimes like you know there are things that you know immediately come to mind there are you have a lot more values that are under the surface right that that kind of iceberg effect that are that are below the surface that um may not be readily apparent but that they are important nonetheless so it's about knowing yourself deeply and by knowing yourself deeply you can also grow yourself so much more and who doesn't want that Oh my gosh. Right. And, and it's not just about growing yourself. It's, um, it's about enjoying your life and really getting to do the things that just make you so, so happy and, Mm -hmm. and finding more and more bliss in your life. Not that you're going to have bliss at all times, but it's, it's being able to tap into a blissful experience that you've never sort of known was possible. Um, And yeah, you're right. It's all about the self reflection. It's all about the introspection. It's, and I wrote down all these questions that you're asking, you know, like from the very beginning of this conversation, you had said, what purpose am I writing for? Um, You had said, you know, what's the point of all of this when you were talking about your academic writing? And, and now you're saying, you know, what's important to me? What is my purpose? What are my values? Um, You're talking about being with yourself and having this dialogue with yourself. And 
we as academics are not are never taught to do that mm -hmm. and all the answers are outside of us never within us right and so i wonder as you think about your teaching and i know you said you absolutely loved it and it was very fulfilling and and students could grow in your class as people um but what is the the difference between teaching and coaching for you? Um, what is your sort of experience in terms of your purpose and your bliss in each of those sort of arenas? Ooh, that's a great question. And what immediately comes to mind is in teaching, I was teaching students how to look at the world and teaching students the value of looking at the outside um, with a different lens, with a different perspective, and basically giving them the examples to to mine and to to think on. Whereas with coaching, I am basically prodding you with questions for you to think through yourself. So it's. Uh, it's 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 similar in the sense of you're you both still grow in both both students and both clients and um are are thinking for themselves but with the students here i'm gonna make it this a little easier for you here's an example that you can use something that's you know very out of your comfort zone um because I'm using the example of a different group of people, a different ritual, a different practice, a different language, whatever the case may be. Whereas with clients, I'm not giving you an example. You have to look within yourself, not not look to the outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is. I would say that that's this. It's the same type of interest. Same type of, of thinking. You know, there's self-critical thinking, but one is applied to the outside and the other one is applied to the inside. You know, it's not looking for more information to know more. It's mm. it's this understanding that you already know the answers. The answers are within you. There's no looking outside. There's no reading a book. There's no gathering data. All the data is inside you. That is such a shift for academics. Yeah. Such a shift. Yeah. All that data is inside you. What does it mean? What does it mean? But you have to look inside yourself. And that is a, a different way of being. It's a different way of thinking with different parts of yourself. Um, and there's there's also, you know, if you think about it, there's also a sense um, a sense that 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 process of introspection is a luxury that um, you know you, you you relegate this to like philosophers you know pondering you know contemplating their existence or <laughs> the meaning of life and things like that but the truth is for us to truly understand what is important to us and truly understand what our purpose in this world is and truly understand uh, even 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 let's say applying this to the academic you know or, or work professional kind of standpoint is is what i'm doing aligned with with my work is the way that i'm behaving or the way that i'm thinking aligned with what is true um, in my work or for others or whatever the case may be like it applies to more than just yourself it applies to what you do it applies to how you relate to others. It's, you know, in that process of growing yourself, your relationships, the nature of your relationships change because you start growing that empathy by growing the empathy for yourself and the understanding for yourself. You grow that empathy yeah. for, for others in that process too. So it's like, so as I hear you say that coaching is a much deeper process than teaching because it's like this ripple effect you change within and then things outside of you change mm -hmm. yeah absolutely there there has to be that that effort inward before the the outward effect is is visible so i kind of think of this as as almost like um you know you're 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 journeying into yourself like you know something there's there's this great quote that um some people travel to explore and other people travel to expand 
And I love that because I'm a traveler by 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 nature um, and, and I'm an adventurer. And this is almost like the way that I see it is having an adventure with yourself. But it's going into this unknown territory into yourself, except that with a with with a guide, with somebody there to help you navigate, uh, somebody there to, you know, to uh, immerse yourself into that experience and and have a am I going the right place or what is important about this for me or you know and just have somebody prodding you into that place of curiosity and those places where you may not want to go there and you may want to avoid it but guess what that place of discomfort and the place that you're avoiding there's probably a lot there that's going to help you to learn that's going to help you to grow that's going to help you to expand, to transcend your boundaries, to really be able to take a critical look at what you have accepted as true in your life, what limiting beliefs, what, you know, on and on and on. There's just so much richness in those hidden corners and in those, you know, uh, in those in those paths that you just simply haven't traveled to within yourself. And there's, there's just so much to gain from that process. So Margie, will you tell us how people can reach you if they are interested in your coaching? Absolutely. So they can, um, they can visit the website. The website is human-empowered.com. They can also reach me by email at Margie, M-A-R-G-I-E, at human-empowered.com. So, so good. Do you have any last advice you would want to leave for academics who are feeling stuck in their careers um, and they're not sure if they want to leave or not, but they're not feeling good about where they're at? Um, Anything you'd say, last words? I would say that taking that proverbial step back, really just closing your eyes and asking yourself the question is this where i want to be checking in with your body and feeling either a sense of peace or a sense of resistance is the difference between knowing that you are in the right place or feeling like it's time to move on that is such a great place to end Thank you, Margie. Thank you so much Thank for joining me today. Thank you, Daniel. It's been great. It's, uh, it's, it's so nice to have this space to be able to, uh, to explore something that I haven't with academics. It almost, it's, uh, it's, it's such a good place um, to be transparent and vulnerable. Thanks for joining me today on Self-Compassionate Professor. I'm Danielle Delamar, wishing you a wonderful day and much happiness, health, and peace. Take care.